is John. This is Dan. And this is She's Not a Slut Yet. This is a podcast about three friends watching cult movies and drinking together. This week we'll be reviewing Dan's pick, The Boondock Saints, which was released in 1999. So Dan, start us off with some box office stats. All right, so a little about the box office stats of Boondock Saints. It had a $6 million budget. Did not do much in a, in the theaters. It only got a $19,000 uh, opening. Domestically, it was uh, 30000 And then worldwide, basically worldwide overall, this was $30,000. Not much. That's like potato chips. Review-wise, it's kind of all over the place. It has a 7.8 stars on IMDb. Rotten Tomatoes, it's only a 28%. But then the audience score is a 91%. Um, I want to mention something as well. Uh, it's a bit deceiving, the box office stats, because they only actually released it in five theaters for a week. That's, that, yeah, that, 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 that's literally it. That's that's all yeah. the money they made in a week. And they made all of their money outside of that from the... Uh, what did they have in 1999? Cassette tapes? Uh, there's, I think it was DVDs. Yeah, it was DVDs. Yeah, it was like... No, I mean, they're not, not, not as common. Movies, but DVDs. I don't think they were as common but, though. No, they, it was between. They might have been VCR as well. Yeah, probably a, a mix of both. But yeah, but yeah, like this movie, it, it definitely was not marketed as a uh, as a major blockbuster. It was obviously something that was uh, as close to direct to de- direct to video as possible. Well, that and this movie was released right around the time of the Columbine shooting, and being a very gun-heavy movie, you can imagine it didn't really go very long in theaters. Yeah, that's also something to... uh, All right, I'm doing interesting facts. I'm so sorry, Nadine. You may go. Okay. The Church for Connor, Sean Patrick Flannery, and Murphy, which is Norman Reedus from The Walking Dead, attend Mass. Church of the Covenant is not a Catholic church, but a Lutheran one. No Catholic churches in the area would allow filming in their sanctuaries due to their objections to the plot of this movie. The maximum security prison in which Il Duce, Sir Billy Connolly, is being held is actually the old Suffolk County Jail in Boston, which is now a four-star hotel. Go figure. I want to stay there. (laughs) The word fuck and its derivatives are used a total of 246 times in the movie. When first entering the sin bin, the words abandon all hope ye who enter are painted on the door. This is a reference to the Divine Comedy by Dante. When the character Dante enters hell in the Divine Comedy, the same words are carved at the entrance. The woman to whom the priest refers in the opening scene of this movie, Kenna Genovese, was an actual person. She was raped and murdered by a serial rapist in 1964 outside of her house. I have more information actually in the notes after everything. She was basically a bartender who was going home. I think it was around 2.30 a.m. She was in a courtyard, I believe, where everyone had their windows open because they didn't really, you know, it was warm out. I didn't have, like, their air conditioners. It was probably more expensive to have, like, air like that. Um, and she was stabbed by a man, and she screamed for help, and no one actually called the police or came out to help her. One guy yelled at his window, leave that girl alone, which actually chased away the guy. He ran away but then didn't come out to help her after she was stabbed. Like 10 minutes later, the guy that had just stabbed her came back, stabbed her again, raped her, and then robbed her. She crawled her way to the door of her apartment building, never actually was able to get in, 
And eventually one of the neighbors did finally come down and call for the police. She died on her way to the hospital in the ambulance. And this is now known as um, the bystander effect in psychology. So just um, so you know. something, something interesting on that as well. During that scene, I know this is technically in advance, but during that scene, um, he was talking about there's nothing more uh, disgusting than a good man knowing what happened, but still ignores the situation. And, uh, you know, and I, and then he was like talking, like, I can't imagine someone just ignoring what's going on and walking away. And then literally as they're walking out, I was cracking up because of it. Yeah. Uh, but that was a real case, just so you know. <laughs> After shooting this yeah. movie, yes, was shot. Did. He didn't know. Dan didn't know that. He didn't know. I, did know that. I knew that because I'm smart. I guess I'm not smart. <laughs> it's one of the most well-known cases. Love you, Dan. So, like, if unless you're into psychology or into true crime, you're probably not really going to know it. But it is one of the best-known cases, especially in the New York area, because literally, I think it was 38 people heard her screaming for help. And no one came to help her. After shooting, this movie was shopped at the 1999 Keynes uh, Film Festival in the hopes of finding a distributor. Every major shoot studio in the U.S. turned it down due to the Columbine shooting a one month prior to the Keynes Film Festival. After failing to find a distributor at Keynes, this movie was eventually picked up by a small company for a limited theatrical release of five theaters in the U.S. for a period of seven days. So a week. I didn't even read that. I just managed to belt it out in advance. Sorry, I stole your I stole your thunder. Yeah, you should be sorry. Uh, so the giant wooden crucifix in the open scene was actually made from styrofoam and was painted to look like wood. Uh, Troy Duffy comments he received a two-page letter from the Archdiocese of Toronto calling him the spawn of Satan and that the script for this film was an instrument of his destruction. Il Duce's prison number... Right? Il Duce's <laughs> prison number 6570534 was Troy Duffy's phone number at the time. The tattoo on the hand of Il Duce is a butterfly. It can clearly be seen during the court scene at the end of the movie. All right, John, take away the All right. Yeah, it's okay. You can pick up a beer. You guys can drink a little bit. I'll be talking. So, the movie starts in a church during service. In the middle of the sermon, the McManus brothers, Murphy and Connor, to the altar behind the priest and kneel for a prayer without anyone in the church noticing. The boys then leave the church and head off to work at a meat packaging plant. From there, the boys goof off at work and eventually get into a fight with their new co-worker and head off to the bar, which is a funny scene because she says a, uh, a feminist thing and they just beat her up. Um, while the guys are hanging at the bar with friends, they find out the bar is being closed by the Russian mob, just as members of the mob come to force everyone out of the bar. The scene then shifts to the next day, showing cops swarming an alley where they see Russian mob men from the night before are found dead. As Detective Greenlee describes an insane idea of what happens, FBI Paul Schmeeker, <laughs> Schmeeker, love him, William Defoe, comes on the scene and figures out what actually happened. After a cop figures out which tenant is having a water leak in their apartment, per Schmeeker's orders, Schmeeker has him and the detectives go to the fifth floor above the apartment with the leak and find the apartment wrecked. As Schmaker is basking in the glory of being right, he's told by a cop about, a, about the bar down the street the dead man in the alley may have been at the night before because the cop was used to that area. The scene then switches to the hospital, 
the McManus brothers are at. As the two are playing with a kid that has cancer, their bartender, Doc, comes in and tells them that an FBI agent came in and gave him his car, telling him to tell the boys to turn themselves in and tell him it was self-defense. Well, the scene shifts again to show Agent Schmaker yelling at the officers for the story being leaked you know, to the press and then tells them to keep looking. Of course, Detective Greenlee then states that they're, you know, probably gone just as the two brothers walk into the station in bloody bathrobes and bandages. As the boys are being interviewed by Schmeeker, the scene flashes back to show what actually happened the night before at the bar, which I love the way this is done. In the flashback, the boys are seen getting into a fight with the Russian mob men after the Russian goons punch their friend Rocco in the face. The goon get their asses kicked, and one even has his ass lit on fire. The next morning, wearing the same clothes, two of the Russian goons from the night before barge into the McManus brothers' apartment and attempt to kill them. One of the, one of the Russians are killed by a toilet being dropped on them by Connor, and the other was killed with the, lid, with the toilet lid by Murphy. Back in the present, Agent Schmeeker finds out the boys can speak Russian as well as a slew of other languages. The boys are then told that they are not being charged, and Schmeeker goes to handle the press after the two asked to stay the night in the prison. The next day, the boys check the message left by the Russian mob to their goon's pager, and then leave the police station. The scene then shifts to show the McManus brothers' friend, Rocco, dropping off food to his boss in the Italian mob. After the boss hangs up the phone, he makes Rocco tell him jokes as he is the funny man. The scene then shifts back to the brothers as they illegally purchase guns with the money they stole from the Russians. The two then take their newly purchased weapons to the location the Russian goons were given on the pager. <clears throat> the scene then shifts again to show Schmeeker getting a phone call about a mass murder. When he arrives on the scene of nine dead Russian mob men, Schmeeker then again goes through the crime and correctly deduces what happened at the end of his theory. The I'm scene sure then flashes so back... I'm pretty sure it's pronounced Smecker, dude. <laughs> I swear, it's Schmeeker. Sh where's no! The sh where's I, the sh I, I, it's S-M-E-C-K-E-R. Where's the Schmeeker? I don't know. Schmeeker. Where's, where's that? Smecker. Smecker. Schmeeker. Smecker. Fine, Where's the sh coming from? <laughs> Why are you adding a sh? There's no H after the S. <laughs> This is Fine. like an ongoing theme for the podcast. It's, it's just William Defoe, then. Honestly, the like, it is William Defoe. What, what do you mean? Time, you are constantly setting things, saying names wrong. You literally watched the movie, dude. Okay, I'm bad with <laughs> names. Leave me alone. You literally watched the movie. I'm not saying Rocco wrong. Well, thank God for that, because that Rocco. is an easy one. Oh my god. Might be Roco, you never know. If you say Il Duce, Anyways, Schmecker. Il Duce. The scene flashes back to what actually happened. In the flashback, the two brothers put on masks and climb through the air vents to get to the room the Russians are meeting in. Right above the room, the brothers get into a fight and accidentally fall into the room upside down tangled in rope. As the mob realizes they are there, they go to shoot them, but the brothers beat them to it and kill all the mob men, leaving the leader for last. The room's bell rings, and then the two put on their ski masks and look through the people to find their friend Rocco on the other side. The two decide to fuck with him, open the door, and scream and yell him to get on the ground. 
After Rocco looks like he's going to piss himself, the two take off their masks and let him, let him in on what they did. Back in the present, Smecker talks to his trio detectives about the murders and says incorrectly that this could be the beginning of a mob war. The scene then shifts to the brothers and Rocco at Rocco's apartment, talking about how the brothers believe they were told by God to clean the streets of evil. At first, Rocco questioned this, but then fully agrees and is on board their idea. The three then spend the night drinking, and Rocco slaps the table accidentally killing his cat with a gun. Or, his ex's cat with a gun. The next morning, when Rocco is leaving for his job as a delivery guy for the Italian mob, Connor tells Rocco to be careful because his bosses were likely setting him up to die the night before, as they had told him only two guys were in there and gave him a gun with six bullets, when in reality, it was nine guys. Rocco refuses to believe this and gets in a fight with Connor and then leaves. The brothers wait for him at the place until he comes home hours later, frantically screaming that they need to pack and go. As the three men leave Rocco, as the three men leave, Rocco tells him he killed some of his co-workers and the scene shifts to show Rocco, finding out that he was set up to be killed by the Russian mob. Rocco then loses it and kills the two guys he's talking to, and then the bartender. The scene then goes back to the present and Rocco admits they're witnesses. As the men are driving Rocco, as the men are driving, Rocco has Connor stop the car and convinces the brothers to kill his boss that he knows is at the peep show. At first, the brothers de decline and then agree at Rocco's behest. The night the three men go to the peep show with masks on and guns. The scene then shifts so Smecker, arriving at the scene and going to interview the witness. After interviewing the witness, he tells the detectives everything that happened, and the scene switches to a flashback. In the flashback, Rocco is seen taking the dancer hostage as the brothers finish off one of Rocco's bosses. The men then see two other criminals, not connected to any mob, enter the booths and decide to kill them too. Back in the present, Smecker is trying to figure out exactly what happened when the detectives tell him about the shooting at a restaurant. Smecker loses it on him and tells them to take him to the other crime scene. At the other crime scene, Smecker, and Smecker goes over what he thinks might be happening and tells the detectives to let him know when the next criminal dies because the men killing them aren't done yet. The scene shifts again to show the Italian mob boss entering a bathroom to speak to a previous Don. While he's there, he asks for Il Duce. Duce? <laughs> Nadine? What was it again? Oh my god. <laughs> Nadine! Okay, okay. I'm composing it's myself. Il, it's, it's Il Duce. It's Il Duce. Yeah, Il Duce. Il Duce? Oh my god. Where where do you come well, up there, with Bro, <laughs> oh, I can't help it. While there, he asks for Il Duce to kill Rocco because he's picking off the family one by one. The older Don agrees, but warns him that the man he is asking for is an animal and should only be used if absolutely necessary. The scene then shifts to Rocco, telling the McManus brothers about the next person in the Italian mob they should go for. Rocco then explains this guy will take out the whole family for the mob and then clean the house. The brothers agree to go after him next. At the three men's crime scene the next day, Smecker describes what happens and the scene becomes another flashback, showing the three men walking into a card game and killing all of the men in attendance. Then the three left out the front to meet Il Duce, who immediately began to fire at them. Both sides managed to injure each other but were unsuccessful in killing each other. The scene then returns to the present where Smecker finds out that the men sprayed their blood splatter with ammonia to conceal their identities. Hilarious. Unfortunately, the three men left behind Rocco's finger that was shot off in the fight. 
As Agent Smacker finds Rocco's finger, the three men fight over what happened, and the brothers insist Rocco must know who Il Duce is, even though Rocco claims to have never seen it before. The three then cauterize their wounds on a on an iron um, before sitting down to watch Agent Smecker talk about the case on TV. The brothers immediately recognized him and tell Rocco he's not to be touched as he is a good man. While the brothers are defending Smecker, Smecker is processing Rocco's finger and gets a positive ID for Rocco. After a few seconds, he realizes that Rocco was the man that brought the brothers their clothes when they stayed over at that night in jail. The next morning, as Rocco is waiting for the brothers to get done at church, he sees Agent Smecker stumble out of a bar and decides to follow him. By coincidence, Smecker ends up going to, to the same church the brothers are in and goes into the confessional. Rocco follow, follows suit right behind the priest and threatens the priest, the priest to do what he's told or he'll kill him. Connor sees this and holds a gun to Rocco's head while Smecker begins his confession. By the end of it, the priest managed to convince Smecker to help the brothers and Rocco. The scene then shifts to show Connor on the phone with Smecker, telling him about Il Duce. Smecker promises to look into the guy for him, and Connor lets him know that they will be going for the dawn that night. As promised, Smecker looks into Il Duce and finds out that the dawn has every hired gun in his house, where the brothers are headed. That night, in the dawn's house, the three men are captured, and Rocco is then killed. As the dawn goes to let Il Duce know the job is done, the brothers manage to escape their cuffs and beat up one of the mob men. While the brothers are doing that, Smecker shows up, dressed as a woman, and manages to seduce one of the mobmen into letting him in. He then kills two of the mobmen before getting knocked out by Il Duce. Il Duce then goes downstairs to find the brothers are saying a prayer for Rocco and decides not to kill them and finishes their prayer with them. After three months, the men storm the courtroom that Don is being tried at with the help of Smecker and his detectives and kill the Don after giving a warning. The scene then shifts to show the three men relaxing as Connor calls Il Duce dad and asks how far they will have to go, to which he responds as far as they need to. The movie then ends with people being interviewed, random people, by the news about how they feel about Il Duce and whether or not the things he did was a murder or good. There you go. It's done. Okay, I have... I, I want to I start. I have a lot to say about this movie. In the review, I have a lot to say about this movie. But the biggest thing of all is, I don't know what the fuck I just watched. (laughs) (laughs) He legit thought he had seen this movie before, watched it, and was like, I have not seen this movie before, and I do not think I like it. I, I have not seen this movie before. I thought I did, and I like to go into things blind, to which I did, watched it, got confused, googled what I thought it was, realized I was thinking about something entirely different, an adult comedy cartoon. Um, <laughs> you and... thought this was the boondocks? Yes! I thought it was oh the boondocks! <laughs> to which I stopped. How do you fuck that up so much? Got shooketh. Got shooketh. Rewatched the first few minutes, got confused again, stopped, and put my head in my hands and realized I had no idea what I was getting myself into. So, for the third time, I rewatched the start of it. And, yeah, I just... I mean, I was so hyped for this, and I got let down in the first few seconds so hard. I, I could I, I could see that. 
Yeah, because the Boondocks is actually a really, really good show that lasts. I know. I know. Animated <laughs> TV. That lasted for three seasons. So I'm just a little confused how you got the two mixed up. Oh, no. <laughs> so, anyways, moving on from my blunder. I uh, eventually decided to delve into the movie because I had to because the podcast was going to be happening the next day. I was required to. So I started and it went through the scenes a little bit. I actually thought that intro scene was one of the coolest things in the world. The way that it was done, the way the cameras panned. Like, I actually was amazed by it. I was like, oh, this is going to be a great movie. And they're outside smoking cigarettes together. I'm like, oh, this is going to be dope. And then they're beating each other up with meat in a butcher house. <laughs> and my preconception or whatever it's called, the uh, you know, the what the what is that word where you where you think of something to be something before it actually is pre yeah, it's pre preconception. Yeah. Preconceivation. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> yeah. What the fuck? Anyways, was, are you drunk? Are you drunk? Are you drunk tonight? <laughs> I'm just curious. Okay, it's preconception. Preconceived so my pre, my preconception, <laughs> my preconceived notion about the movie. Different. I know it's about giving birth. Leave me alone. The preconceived notion <laughs> that I had about this movie flipped on its head once again for the third time as I realized that this actually was a comedy. So I was like, okay, well this is this is going to be good then. Yeah, I can't tell you how many times I had to stop. Think about what the fuck I just watched. Come back, rewatch the scene, and go, why? <laughs> so, I don't know. I've watched a lot of movies with you guys so far. And I've never been so disappointedly amused until I saw this movie. So thank you, Dan. Thank you, Nadine. I have well, this... nothing, nothing to say. There's a lot of good parts about this movie. There's a lot of parts that make you go, why? Like the guy that, like, uh, Rocco... Stopping, seeing tits, and going, mm. with gloves on, mind you, and then rubbing it gently, and then putting his hands up after being caught. He's like, no, I'm sorry, you know? Like, it's just like... <laughs> no, he said, There's I'll so many her. things about this... Oh, he did, he said, I'll tip her! <laughs> oh my god. No, I... <laughs> like this, and I know that you're getting a kick out of this, Dan, because I know you really like this movie. Oh yeah, this is and clearly... I think that's what hurts me movie. more. Right? I'm so on the fence. This movie had some of the best camera shots I think I've ever seen from a movie this old. Right? Um, personally, knowing that I haven't watched that many movies, keep that in mind. And it had some really good background music. had really good symbolism, or symbolism, for the different things that go on. Like them walking down the bridge, and then at the very end of the movie, they walk the same way with Il, with Il, Il Ducci. Do oh my <laughs> god. Il Duce. Il Duce. Um, so, the same, walking the same way with their father as they walked, you like how I avoided the word entirely, as they walked on the bridge. So, like, I just, there's so much about this movie that's a stroke of genius. And then there's parts of the movie that just don't make sense. Like, he threw, he threw a toilet off a balcony jumped after the other guy, landed on him, and they both died. Yeah, I I, I kind of watched this movie like a, a comic book almost. <laughs> like, it, it, it kind of, like, 
they almost poke fun up at themselves, like especially in the scene when they like come down through the uh through the ventilator shaft and they like look at each other is like, did we did we really just do that? It's like, oh yeah. You told me not to bring the rope. Like it, it's it, it, the movie almost makes fun of itself, but like it you can't really tell if it's trying to take itself seriously or not. But well, it, there is a lot of like situational humor like that. Well, I got as well on top of that. I, I get that situational humor. Um, I also picked up a little bit of uh, Joker vibes. Uh, you know, the most recent Joker movie from I William Defoe. That I haven't seen. William Defoe. You guys haven't seen. Oh! Yeah, William Defoe's not in the recent, most recent. No, Joker, from the way William Defoe danced his way oh, yeah, yeah. through different things, I got such a Joker vibe from it. And oh, yeah. William Defoe, by far, is the biggest redeeming character. Oh, well, besides Ron Jeremy. I don't even know why Ron Jeremy was in this movie to begin with, but he was. Um, <laughs> this movie just takes a piss at everything I've ever thought of when it comes to a movie and decides to stir it with the freaking chaotic spoon. Yeah. Okay, no, I, 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 I'm done ranting. I'm done. <laughs> no, I, I think... I think what you're you're onto something there though. Like, there's so many good parts of this movie that it seems like it should be an amazing movie. And like, if it's like the juxtaposition from what we saw with the Army of Darkness, where it's like it's there's so many terrible parts of it, but it it comes together as a as a great movie. This like has so many great parts, but I can see I love this movie, but I can see why someone would not this wouldn't gel for a lot of people. I can understand why the critics look at this movie and go, what the fuck? Yes. And give it 2 out of 10 stars, while someone watching it would give it 9 out of 10 and be like, this is the funniest, greatest movie that ever happened to mankind. And meanwhile, the critics just like, was the director on acid? No, I mean, it's not even just you know? that. It's the way they put it together. It, the, the, the movie, in my personal opinion, doesn't have a shit ton of great things about it. I can see where someone might like some of it, but it's basically just overly religious overtones uh, and serial killers. I'm, that's basically what we're watching. Like, they're, they're basically serial killers. You realize that, right? That's what they're doing. They're, they're, vi- they're vigilante. No. Bro, no. they're not vigilantes. They're some bums with guns. <laughs> no, because see, here's the thing. It's here's all, the thing. You don't have to have a good. knife. You don't have to have a knife or cut someone up to be a serial killer. And then the gun side is okay. You have the Night Stalker used guns, and he had random victims. So specifically speaking, they have a profile type. Who's the Night Stalker? Okay. Oh my god. Uh, the, the Night Stalker is uh, a serial <laughs> Just killer. <the> silence. <laughs> the night. The Night Stalker is a serial killer who was in uh, Los Angeles, I believe, California. He was in California. Um, I think it was in the 70s. And he would enter into someone home, someone's home late at night, and he would just kill people. He was pretty much homeless, and his teeth were rotting out of his head. So victims who did manage to survive, who smelled his breath, basically all said the same thing. He smelled really bad. Um, the man had, like... If you like, they have a documentary. It's not very good. You should listen to the Morbid podcast, the episode, because they have multiple parts. Are you parts mentioning another podcast in the current a, podcast that we're podcasting? It is a true crime podcast that I am obsessed with, and you should listen to this episode for the Night Stalker. But yeah, he killed a lot of people. He didn't have 
a profile for them. He was one of the very few serial killers who did not have a profile. You were either you're old, you're affluent, you're white, you're black, you're it did not matter. He would get into your house and he'd basically kill you. And usually he would shoot them, but you know, uh, he did kill them other ways too. He was also, from what I remember, did not rape any of them, which is not usually like they don't. Not every superhero is like a not super serial killer. See, <laughs> wrong <We're> word. Superheroes. <laughs> wrong word. Not every serial killer you has some sort of like sexual, you know, like deviance that is attached to what they do. Uh, but it's, it's not very common. It's a modus operandi. Right. But what I'm saying is, is what did you do about this? Jesus, Nadine, you are more chaotic than the pool table I play on. All right, the dog just knocks something over. Uh, Basically, what I'm saying is is these guys have a victim profile, right? They like going after criminals in particular. They have a specific process they go through. They happen to use guns to kill them. They usually are pretty good shots, right? And they always plan it out ahead of time. They stalk their victims. And then when they're done... They have a whole kind of like ceremony that they do afterwards. All serial killers kind of have a kind of a, like a set way of doing it. They had um, for the, oh God, I can't even say, Velisca axe murders. They think it was a serial killer who did it because there's several axe murders that happened afterwards where he did the same thing. He would stay in the house. He would heavily curtain everything. He would cover the bodies. Yeah. After he axed them to death with sheets, he would wash his hands in a bowl of water and leave the blood, bloody bowl of water, like, open. He would, like, eat a sandwich. So they have that ritual afterward where they pray. They put the coins on there, on their eyes. They also have really, really, really religious overtones. Um, and a lot of serial killers have that, too. Now, they're not going after women, where a lot of serial killers are going after women when they do have those religious overtones because they hate women for whatever reason, whether it be their mother, whatever it is. But they have all of those things in it. So in a way, I would say it's kind of like watching people who are supposed to be vigilantes, people who are looking out to be heroes, but they're kind of satisfying like a sick kind of lust that they had. They don't really show that in the movie, but like they definitely have all well, the things that would make them a serial killer. Based on that, then, that's a t- do you think, based on that and the way that you're talking about serial killers, do you think this movie would have done so much better in theaters if it came before the Columbine shooting and not after. Before the gun stuff started popping up and controlling gun violence and all that stuff. Because the Columbine shooting was the main contributor to that. For sure. Because if you look at this movie as a whole, I was just saying, if you look at this movie as a whole, you get three very big tropes in this movie. You get gun violence, you get, well, I mean, you mentioned it down below, but the homophobia and stuff like that, and then the very heavy religious undertones, right? Which, back then, was fine for a movie. You know, that's that's at that time period where people are still trying to understand, you know, the general populace and their opinions, right? Okay, the satanic But then the Columbine shooting... Passed by that point. Satanic panic sounds like Finding Nemo. But it, was in a a period, it was a period in the 80s and I think the early 90s too where everyone was terrified of Satanism and they believed Satanists were just walking all over the place and killing people in, in, in rituals. <laughs> I'm not, like, not even kidding. Satanic panic. 
It's not Satanic wow. Panic. It's, it's 1999 in this movie. Yeah. Well, Don't argue I'm, with me. Fight you. Congrats, Nadine. All right, so. <laughs> I'm not going to argue at all. So, Dan. Yes. You do agree with me, though, right? That this movie, because of how this movie was made, because of how we appreciate it now, more or less the good parts, you and me, um, this movie would have succeeded hella in the uh, in a theater, like it would have went it, probably net, I don't like nationwide. Think, I oh, don't yeah. think hella. I think it would have done a lot better than it did now. But you also got to remember this movie is kind of like disjointed. It has a lot of religious overtones at the time in the '90s, especially the late '90s, early 2000s. We were already moving away from that kind of thing, like where people weren't really as into religion. Um, you were. You have the gun violence, which, I mean, with pre-Columbine, you probably would have had, you know, more of a response to it after Columbine, especially during that time. Obviously, the response to this wasn't going to be so great because, you know, someone shot up a school. It wasn't even the response per se. It was just the fact that, you know, such a massive incident happened and now people refuse to uh, put it in theaters. Um, right. Basic- but, I mean, it's, but on top of that, like... On top of that, you get it. You remember, like this. Even without that, though, this movie what it had a bit of a story, but it was kind of all over the place, like a little bit just all over. You know what I mean? Um, and it was definitely like I feel like there could it could have been done just better. I really do. Like I feel like it's just it was it was too cheesy for me. I wasn't huge into the mob aspect of it. I wasn't really huge into the religious aspect of it. I didn't really like that they thought it was a like it, they put into the movie that these guys thought it was a call from God to uh, just murder these, like, people. You know, even though they if were you, villains. If, I, I totally understand where you're coming from, but isn't the entire point of the movie to pick fun and all that stuff that's currently yeah, that's going out of passion? Yeah, that's what I, I kind of got out of it, too, is, like, especially like, the scenes with, like, Willem Dafoe and, and the, uh, going to, like, the priest, like, yeah, there's the religious overtones, but I think it's like also questioning those religious overtones at the same time. I think I mean, it's just it's use it's it's trying to build a plot on a story that doesn't really make sense to begin with, and yes. it's just having fun the entire time. And they're like, you know what, you know what helps people become that? Fuck it, religion. <laughs> and and I think that's why that's the parts don't like. show together because I think there's like two different themes going on where one's like this, like kind of like message for or against religion and also this like kind of comic like kind of a dark comedy like violent shoot 'em up movie i would say they're they're making fun of religion too in this movie i just think the way they put it together it just didn't come out right i don't know i just it didn't it didn't yes. do it for me it just didn't come the way it come together the way it should have i think they like piecemealed it together and you can definitely see it in the final product well when I look at this movie um, as a whole, I see a lot of good things about it and a lot of bad things about it. First off, you have the budget issues. You can li- visibly see in many scenes the background of uh, the crew by accident, like the reflection of his sunglasses when uh, he's getting shot. There are three of them are getting shot up by uh, Il Duce. And and I paused it because I, I noticed this. I was like, because I always I always try and do that nowadays when I watch movies. Is I look at sunglasses and the reflection. You can literally see a camera in the reflection of Rocco's sunglasses. Literally, look it up. 
You can see a perfect camera, a video camera. And I'm just like, oh my god. Or when they kicked, then jumped off the uh, thing with the toilet. Um, you know, threw the toilet down and jumped off. You could literally see he didn't throw it. Someone else to the right of him did. And then the toilet falls, and then you see him jumping, and all of a sudden, there's another crew member to the left on the, on the staircase, or on the emergency staircase thing. It's just like, the budget wasn't there to support the director's uh, wish, which makes sense. I mean, they had a $6 million budget, and they were going, they were going pretty high-end. My experience with this movie, I, I didn't notice those things. Those didn't bother me. And in fact, like I think the low budget kind of like kind of complemented the campiness of it. But it's that... not the same low budget quality though as that previous horror movie you guys made me watch. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean, you mean, again, you mean... Like, it I think Army they try to do too much with a low budget. No, <laughs> Nadine, it's the one after. That was the one that movie. I actually kind of liked a little bit. You did like Army of Darkness. You did like Army of Darkness. I swear. It's the... Are you talking yeah, about Blair Witch Project? Yes, the Blair Witch Project. I think I rated that one not too great, but also not too bad. I, I hated it, though. Oh, yeah, I did hate it. But I, I, I... Like, it's not the same quality as that movie is with a low budget. This had probably 200 times the budget, and yet still made some incidents like that? I don't know, you know? Um, I will, like, and when looking, that's, like, one of the biggest issues with, the, with this movie is the budget. The second is, it feels like the plot was rushed badly. Like, really badly rushed. I, you know, it feels like it was consistent, everything made sense until about 60% into the movie, and then after that it was just, like... Who cares? Let's just go in every direction possible. It's his dad. You yeah, know? I, was gonna, I was gonna say the exact same thing. It's like, I feel like this movie has, like, such an amazing setup Um, up until the point where you have, like, the, the fire fight scene. Like, after that, it just kind of, like, is like, wait, what? Yeah, it just, like, all falls to shambles. And I feel like they were having so much fun with this movie. It's the definition of they they didn't think that they could, they just kind of did it, you know, without yeah. really thinking of the consequences. And then you get this weird-ass movie where 60% of it is freaking hilarious, and then a couple of littered gold scenes, and then just, what? Yeah, you know? No, it's it's a, a balls-to-the-wall movie where, like, yeah. you, you feel like they just, like, kind of took made some decisions or just went with it, even if it didn't quite work. Well, I will give it, though, that this movie did capture my interest all the way through. Um, now, to how much that interest was actually garnered by you know the movie itself, I don't know. But I was really hoping this movie would not end the way that I thought it would, and then it completely ended in a different manner. I don't even know how the fuck it ended. You know, I was like, Yeah, what? I don't Why? understand the you know? ending like that much. But they say that Connor says, Dad, how far do we have to go? Now, is he saying that, like, oh, you're like my adoptive dad? Or are they actually hinting towards the fact that he's his real dad because he finished the prayer that they were praying towards the one guy and he spared their lives and now he's part of their team? So I'm just kind of curious if that's what they're going for <laughs> at the end of the movie. Well, you got to keep in mind there's a sequel to this movie. Now, I the sequel not... was absolute trash from what I've heard. Yeah. Did not I, know I there was I a sequel. I tried to watch the sequel. I couldn't get through it. So they open ended it a little bit with comments like that as a perfect layup for the uh, for the sequel because they were hoping for a sequel. 
Now, the sequel literally was so unbelievably terrible that no one actually cares about it, as with most cult classic movies. Hey, um, bitch. But I think that's what not the case. Fuck you. Oh, my God. Army of Darkness. I'm Excuse sorry. me. I said the word most, not all, yeah, that, Nadine. Yeah, we established last uh, on the Army of Darkness podcast that that was the exception. Army of Darkness. I'm just yes. telling you right now. I'm telling you right now. Evil Dead. The fans yeah. for Evil Dead are fucking hardcore. I'm one of them. <laughs> I made Dan watch well, every single one of the movies. Um, coming back to this movie, right? Um, and I was saying the big three undertones before. Um, but the biggest thing to take away from this movie is that I believe it actually is a good movie. In a very bad time period. In a very unfortunate circumstance. And should have done a lot better. It's just not to my taste. This... This is like one of my favorite. Um, I feel like, like this movie, if it came out, in any movie, maybe like in the ever, mid eighties. Like, this movie, I don't know. Like it's such a, a specific archetype of movie. It should have come out at a very specific time period, and it probably would have done very well. I think it would have been shut down immediately with all the, uh, with all the. I can't well, tell if this would have done better before or after. So I think it kind of like, even though it came out at the inopportune time, it almost set it up perfectly as a cult classic, because like that's how it did kind of get an underground following, and it got bigger uh, DVD VHS sales. Oh yeah, for sure. I don't like this movie. But let's talk about some of the stuff that was good since we kind of like, I don't know, we kind of debated this movie to shit. Willem Dafoe's hair. Willem okay, Dafoe's well, William Dafoe, just in general, okay? You know, his hair is one part of his this amazing being known as, known as William sorry, Dafoe in this no, movie. I'm sorry, no, in this movie, his, like, I, his hair is always great, but in this movie in particular, I was like, holy shit, man. I would have a wig of just your hair. Your hair is glorious in this. How did you get it to shine so much? <laughs> I will actually have to agree because he did, like, he was the whole reason why, like, I, w I would have kept watching this movie if it was something that was a choice because... The way that he does, like, everything in this movie is just fantastic. Like, he makes the one cop, like, who keeps fucking up and, like, he's being really loud. Go get him food. He turns, the one, he turns Greenlee into his bitch. You know, he Basically, really does. Yes. Yeah. On, so, speaking of William Defoe, um, I would like to share one of the things I really liked about this movie that I don't think I've actually ever seen before. In this time period, I think it was really unique, and I'm curious to see if that actually, you know, if this movie actually had an effect on a lot of mystery movies like this, right? Um, I know it did on some anime I watch. Unironically, it actually did. Um, uh, Detective Conan, if anyone's, anyone listening knows who that is. But one no, of the things that happens consistently, well, yeah, you know of it? Good. So, no, one of I the things no that way. happens consistently. Why, Nadine? You gotta shut me down. <laughs> so, anyways, one of the brilliant things they did about this movie is the weird flashback system they used. I did like that. So, one. I loved 
how at first it's very disconnected. There was four total flashback scenes they did. Four really good flashback scenes. Um, so the progressively, the flashbacks got more and more of William Defoe's perspective or Smecker's perspective rather than the brother's perspective. And what's really cool about that is that at the very last flashback scene, you actually get to see, um, you know, William Defoe like almost dodging the bullets, dancing around, seeing what is going on. It's almost like he is in the scene doing the actions that's happening. I thought that was so cool. The way that they choreographed that, the way they made that work, it's such a minor detail, but the adding someone into a scene when in reality all he's doing is just investigating something is brilliant choreography. Now, yeah. that right there is the biggest gold of this movie, by far, in my opinion. Like, if you yeah. just look at just that, I would have given this movie way more than what it should have, or way more than what it actually deserves. I really think his character in general added a lot to the movie because he, even if you're not putting him like the way he acted in those scenes, how they put those together. I love the fact that they, they literally make him more haggard looking as the movie goes on the closer to the end, the closer to the decision where he was like, I'm supposed to be the one putting the people away who, who kill everyone, but like, what's my moral dilemma? Because I wish I was doing the same thing that they're doing because they're actually killing people who are actually criminals, you know, instead yeah. of having to go through the system. I've noticed he was like bright and like his hair was nice and floofy and it was flowing in the beginning of the movie. And then the closer he got to the end, his hair got a little bit more greasy. It still looked fantastic, even with the grease. He looked a little bit more haggard. He was stumbling by the time he got for the, the church. He looked disheveled. So I like yeah. how it slowly got to that point. If you would have missed it if you weren't paying attention. You didn't have to watch it twice in a row. But I definitely like that they put that. It's like a small thing that just adds to it. Yeah, like his whole character arc of like how he starts out kind of confident, walks into the scene and kind of figures out everything like pretty much with just like the snap of a finger and kind of like belittles everybody around him. And then slowly, slowly, like you said, he gets more and more doubting of, like, his ability to dissolve crimes, like, his moral... Well, you gotta keep in mind that this, that yeah. entire time he was just letting this go on because he wanted that, you know, what he wanted the mobster situation to be fixed as well, deep down. So, yeah. like, where his character... The crossroads, it is, like, it is his, like, his work, his position, his, like, job is to figure out crimes and put those responsible for the crimes in jail but he's kind of realizing what's going on and it's like oh this is actually like beneficial to like the, the bigger picture and i i will agree with you i think will if this movie did not have not only just that character i don't care about the character but william defoe himself yeah. too if this movie didn't have him i don't think this movie would be almost worth anything it would still have some gold mines in it, like the fact that they included the porn star, male porn star of the ages, Ron Jeremy, in there before all of his, you know, his indictments and you know the stuff he did. But the fact they included a porn star to make Elvis, How the fuck like you, did you point pinpoint him out? Which character was he? Which fucking character was? Yeah, he? I, I... he's the Elvis guy. Okay, he's the Elvis guy, the 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 third victim. 
The one that oh, went was, to that house the, uh... that was like in the porn, like the with the dancer. Yeah. yeah. I didn't know he was a Ron player. Jeremy was in this movie. Did you not know I that? I don't know not who Ron really? Jeremy is. And one, what? one, how the fuck is he so ugly and a porn star? I don't understand. Aren't because, they supposed to be high? Look, okay, cut this, out, cut this out of the podcast. I'm saying this right now. You guys don't know who Ron Jeremy is. I know he is now that I see I him. And like, I, but I, I didn't make that connection till now. Okay, okay, I'm... Oh my God! Did Ron Jeremy play in the movie Boondock Saints as Vin Vincenzo yes. Lapazzi? Yeah, he was the guy with the, the Elvis guy. He was one of the biggest. He is to this day, although now he's you know on, he's serving time because he molested people and raped them. That's not besi- that's besides the point of what we're talking about. Um, he was in this movie, and he got into this movie at the height of his porn star career. He is the ugliest piece of shit you'll ever see. But he just got really famous as a porn star because it was like he was called the god of porn or whatever. So to see him in this movie as Elvis Presley going to a porn scene set up, I don't think you understand how much I laughed at that. Yeah, he's in a uh, sublime lyrics. Like, it's just, it's so, so funny. I think this is actually one of the movies he tried to break out of the porn industry and go into actual, like, acting, but everyone fucking knew, you know? When they looked at him, everyone knew what the fuck he was trying to do. But, anyways, cutting back in. But Ron Jeremy was actually in this movie, and to see him playing as Elvis Presley is just another one of those super chaotic things that you see in this movie that if you don't catch... You won't even understand. It doesn't matter at all to it. I don't think he was actually playing Elvis Presley, though. Yeah, he was. That was an Elvis Presley impersonator. Okay, impersonator. That was a fucking mob. It was a mob dude. Yeah. He was not an Elvis Presley impersonator. What fucking drugs was he on? Did you watch this movie? He looked like Elvis Presley! No, he looked like a stereotypical 80s Italian mobster. That's what he was playing. Yeah. Because he's an ugly, greasy guy. Like, <laughs> So, Broad Jeremy is a perfect casting. <laughs> like, <laughs> What movie did you watch, John? He looks like Elvis Presley! I like how he says that Elvis Presley. I thought they were making an Elvis Presley impersonation, okay? I thought he was literally just saying he looked like Elvis Presley. So in my head, I was like, oh, he means like old Elvis Presley. I did not realize the entire time you were saying this, you really were like, no, Uh, he was playing an Elvis Presley impersonator. Like, what the fuck, John? Yeah, Ron Jeremy's in quite a bit of like random, low budget, goofy, like, okay, slap comedy movies. I'm out. He did an unbelievable amount of movie work. Like, an unbelievable amount. Like, for almost 40 years. It's just most of it was porn, so... <laughs> yeah, but, like, a lot of non-porn movies he was in that were, like, low-budget B-movies. Anyway. I, I have no idea. I don't this, know. This, <laughs> I don't know why we're talking about the same work. Okay, whatever. Anyways, Ron Jeremy, the lead, the quote-unquote, oh, that's why I kept thinking about that. He's called the Elvis Presley of porn. Okay, I'm going home now. I don't want to be here anymore. Thank you for clearing that up that you guys his nickname mixed up with the character you played in a fucking movie. <laughs> 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 
man, I couldn't help it. I've seen so many Elvis Presley impersonators look like Ron Jeremy. And they try and be Elvis Presley. I just want to add one more thing before we go forward, because I thought this was interesting, and I don't know how much of metal metal like you guys listen to like if you guys listen to any metal at all but when i was in middle school i was really into metal because my older brother still to this day is in a metal band and i don't know the name of the metal band so don't ask me (laughs) i get asked that all the time i'm like i have no idea i don't even know what it's called uh but i used to get really be really really into metal there's a lot of quotes from these movies in the beginning of metal songs the prayer that the guys give that, that I uh, that you hear in the very very beginning of the movie with that like voiceover in the beginning of a metal song, the firefight speech that Willem Dafoe does in the beginning of a metal song. I can even remember the drum beat that comes literally right after he screams, "It was a firefight!" Like so many fucking quotes. I've heard in so many different places. I could not tell you what bands they were. Uh, and I. I didn't pick that up, Nadine, but I knew that there was a lot of musical undertones for this movie when I was hearing the music, and I was also hearing them talking over it. It just seemed to suit. Well, no, I think it's. Well. I think that's. I think it's not these. Those bands came out. Those songs came out after this movie. It wasn't musical undertones because of the movie. That uh, from the bands playing in the movie, these metal bands literally love this movie so much that they took actual quotes from it, religious quotes. Him having a speech about the firefight, all of that, and they put that in the beginning of their songs. I'm, I'm pretty sure, one of them was like Cradle of Filth, but I'm not sure. I'm. It's been a long time. I'm not really into metal anymore. I mean, the only metal bands that I really like is Otep, and they consider fucking Tool metal, but I don't consider Tool metal. I don't know. <laughs> uh, that's one of the few genres I don't listen to at all. I can appreciate it, but I just don't listen to it. But, yeah. um, speaking of. Um, we just talked about one of the one of the really big things about this movie, which is William Defoe. The only other thing, in my honest opinion, besides the golden one-liners and the comedy side of things in this movie, the only other thing I could possibly say that is really good about this movie is the music. I don't know who the fuck wrote the film scores for this, but I could listen to them outside the movie. It is so good. Like the the music in this movie that was used is so unbelievably good so i i don't know i don't know who the composer was i don't know kudos to you good sir good ma'am because this was a really really nice thing to listen to and when things got actually boring it didn't get boring because the music kept it together so those those three things william defoe um the cinematography of the four different uh flashback scenes and honestly the music where the the three biggest saving graces for this movie. Otherwise, I would have rated it very badly, Dan. Why do you say Dan? Because you're the one who fucking... Because I know you like this movie. (laughs) I know, I know. I'm kidding. Why do you say Dan? Like, don't get defensive with me. You chose this. Yeah. I know. (laughs) All right, all right. Fine, then. You do agree with me, though, right? Those three things are the biggest, biggest wins of this movie. Yeah, no, I think... I think the one thing I will add is, like, the action scenes are pretty well shot well yeah the action scenes are, are great but there's so the other things that the low budget kind of uh i think comes clear is it is like as you said there's just like little mistakes 
like when they shot when he accidentally shot the cat and the gun didn't move. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's not how guns work. It should have yeah. flown off the table as well, but it's just minor yeah. things like that that they couldn't really fit into the movie because of budget yeah. reasons or just lack of really care. Alrighty, guys, yep. we're at like an hour and five in this. We should probably move to the next segment. Um, so, <laughs> is it or isn't it? We'll start with Dan because he's going to say he's going to be positive about all his answers. <laughs> <laughs> No, I mean, I, I mean, I think it, it kind of, uh, regardless of how good you feel about this movie, good or bad, like it, it smells like a cult classic. Like, I've never cult- sniffed a TV screen before. I go, mm, that's a cult classic. Well, you should try it, John. But no, okay. <laughs> there's bottles in the back. Had virtually no box office run. Uh, didn't have like a lot of uh, mainstream success, but over time, it kind of built like a a groundswell of under of a underground following and it's kind of like injected itself into like as Nadine said like metal bands will use quotes from this movie in their songs what was one thing you said nadine really early on about cult classics one of the defining features of a cult classic jesus christ is that our <laughs> next door is like look we gotta get rid of the empties you guys are just have to hold on <laughs> one Sorry. of the defining features of a cult classic is it didn't do well to begin with right i'm right. not sure what start could have gotten shittier than this movie they got played in five theaters for a week and then they blew up afterwards and it became a movie that really was only discussed outside of theaters. That is a cult classic by definition. Although I kind of disagree that this movie really should be a cult classic because of the way the movie is. In reality, it is 100% the definition of a cult classic. I can't give it away, so I will also say yes. Okay. Um, I think it's actually- Dean, what do you think? I think this movie actually has multiple reasons why it's a cult classic. So, yes, I do believe it's a cult classic. It is for this reason you stated. It started out shittily, but now it has an insane fan base. It is super loyal to it. I may not understand it, but, I mean, they're into it. So, if you're into it, you're into it. I also think they have a lot of things that could make it a cult classic. It is a bit shocking. It does use a lot of religion in it, but basically them being vigilantes uh there's a lot of violence in it there's a lot of blood there's a lot of gore there's a lot of cursing cat like explodes which is not how that works when it like gets shot um you know all of that and funny, then it's i mean i it was a little sad i was my heart was a little broken i'm not even a huge cat fan and i'm like oh that's my least favorite scene yeah <laughs> dan's least favorite cute scene but and then and there's also the music, like you said, throughout the movie. There's music in this movie that people would probably watch this movie again for or know this movie for simply because of their their, you know, their music that's in it. So I would say 100%. It hits a lot of boxes. It checks a lot of boxes off as to why it's a cult classic. And I absolutely agree with you. All right. Uh, Dan, I'm going to start with you because you're going to have the highest rating across the board. I can just tell. What what would you rate this movie on a scale of one to ten? All right, I'm I'm just gonna go with my heart. This movie is a complete eight for me. Like I love this movie. Oh. It 
it like Jesus. It has like a nostalgia factor for me too. So like I remember watching this in I, probably high school or something, and just like wanted to watch it over and over and over again. Uh, there's even watching it again. There's so many moments that I just think are golden. Like I I do love this movie. I and I'm not gonna be ashamed of that. I, mean, I, I respect your decision, yeah. although I think you're wrong. Uh, I mean, I like um, Nadine. Dead, so. <laughs> Nadine, yeah. what would you rate this movie? Um, it's between a three and a four, so let's give it a three and a half. The three point five. I did not like this. Movie. Damn, damn, <laughs> dude. I will say this for me and Nadine. This is probably our biggest like. Yeah, yeah, I like think that, mm, okay, there's been a couple where you guys have been split, but I think this is the worst yeah. split I've but seen. If we're, if we're split, it's usually by, like, a point or two. Like, we're, we're pretty much aligned. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I'm not into movies that have, like, any mob theme. It definitely does have a mob theme inside of it. I, I mean, Vigilante's okay but if you can you like you, who right? Roger Rabbit, though? I love Who Framed Roger Rabbit. It didn't really have, like... That has a mob theme, Nadine! Not really. a mafia theme. Not, I mean, okay, yeah, those you, are you got the cartoon... little monsters, weasels. Okay, I don't even count those because those those are cartoon wise in whatever TV show they were supposed to pretend to be part of. Those cartoons were supposed to be made as mobsters for the TV show, so that's what the characters came off Look as. But they're really the not. Man. It's not. It's not the same in this. It's not the same thing. Like this is actual mob affiliates they have the russian mob the italian mob i'm surprised the fucking irish mob was not in this shit too because you have a bunch of irish students running around shooting guns too but like i'm not really into that i'm not really into movies that have like a lot of drugs and stuff in it either like i really didn't people are gonna hate me for this but i really wasn't into what was the movie with the guy who was dream no not the movie it was a tv show uh that everyone loves and had the Breaking yeah, Bad. that one. Breaking Bad, Break- yeah. I did not like that show. Yeah, it's okay. I, did I not... actually didn't like that show either for different yeah, I was, reasons. I was not, so I'm, I'm not, not a big fan of TV not... shows like that. So. I mean, like, and on top of that, I'm not really huge. Like, I don't mind a lot of violence in a movie because I like Kill Bill, but I also am not a huge fan of, like, overly, like, punch you in the face religion as used as, like, morals and like people who don't believe in religion are not moral people or whatever i don't know i just i feel like this movie just did hit all the things that i did not like and it just made me hate it like i was just immediately i was just like if you just did it a little bit different i probably would have liked it because i don't mind absolute watching absolute shit movies so and hey that is part of the experience of us doing this podcast is finding out that you're wrong dan is right so um Dan is wrong on this one. Dan is Dan. This is a is what like two or three that Dan did that you and I and John are like, what the fuck? Okay, <laughs> so actually, <laughs> on this note, um, I was very, very, very torn this movie, and I will tell you why. There's a lot of things about this movie that I hate, but there's so many things about this movie that I like. And it made it, when I actually thought about this last night, after I watched it, I'm like, oh my god, how the fuck am I going to rate this? Because if I rated it just on the things I liked, I'd give it a 10. If I rated it on the things I didn't like, it would be a straight 1. Like, it was such a differing thing. But I think the biggest saving grace about this movie, there are more things that I like than there are, than are things that I dislike. So, I really hate some most 
like some things, but most of the things actually weren't that bad. It was bearable. There were there were times I actually straight up laughed, which is unheard of for me in a movie. So I was stuck between a five and a six, and because Nadine decided to be a middle ground person, I'll be the middle ground person between you two and say five point five. <laughs> I just really right. like this movie. It's not yep. a bad movie. It's not a great movie. It's another movie you find on Netflix and go, huh, I'm bored for the evening. Let me watch this. Honestly, that's like... That I made. So this is like a scathing review for me. John, this is like your everyday. <laughs> and, Dan, <laughs> and Dan is like, I actually really like this movie. <laughs> Yeah, this is you, <laughs> this is very this movie to me is nothing more than another Netflix Netflix original that you find out of a random and go, hmm, I want to watch this, and then you watch it and you're like, what the fuck did I just watch? You remember it because there were really good parts. You remember some of it because it was really bad. And you're like, all right, moving on with my life, which is a five point five. <laughs> there you go. There's a lot of the Netflix originals like that, mind you. I like some of them. There was one, and I can't remember the title of the movie, but it was like Halloween, and this girl was really creepy, and she liked a lot of alien stuff. And then aliens came, and they were body snatching bitches, and they had to murder people, and I loved it. I don't remember what it was one called. Movie I watched recently. <laughs> there was one movie I watched recently. It's a Netflix original. It's an animated film, and it's oh, uh, it's kind, of, it's got, it's got like a Ghibli Disney esque film. Um, and halfway through the movie, they went fucking full cartoon, and I hated it. But then it reverted back to the original animation style at the end, and I loved it. That's how basically I felt about this movie. So, um, so I, let me let me close it out um, with the would we recommend with the last segment before Nadine actually closes it out. Um, I'm going to be entirely honest with you guys. I wouldn't recommend this to anyone. Um, <laughs> if you want to find it, go on the website as to where it would be. You can find it. It's not my job to tell you what to do. You're an adult. You can do it yourself. Um, to this movie... I say, you have ruined my childhood. You've gave me nothing but nightmares, but I will remember you for it. So thanks. All right, Dan, what, how do Dan. you feel about this movie? Yeah, I, I, I recommend this movie. Like, <laughs> it, you don't really have to think that much about it. It's kind of a cool story. You get some cool visuals, a cool performance by Willem Dafoe. I kind of like how, like, the these, like, two Irish kids <laughs> Yeah, you could totally reword what you just said, too. This movie is really lame. It doesn't have any action. The only redeeming features are the fight scenes and William Defoe. But nope, you just worded it in a positive manner. Yeah. And also, like, what I love about the... One of my strangely favorite scenes of this movie is, like, the scene where they shoot the Italian guy. Just because, like, he's kind of an asshole and, like, kind of, like, fucks up a lot of their shit. But, like, they're so loyal that they're still, like, devastated. So, like, I don't know. I like this movie. Go go watch it. All right. Well, I disagree with that. Nadine, I'm assuming the same. It's a fucking no. Absolutely fucking not. Do not watch this. This movie is trash. Yes. <laughs> this is not, like, the trash that I made you guys watch last month, like, with Army oh, of You Darkness. recognize that, that what you was... made me watch is trash? It's good trash, though. I liked that trash. Oh, my like God. You see, this is that's, bad trash. That's <laughs> some BS right there. I, I think there's it's a lot good of trash. trash. The what? Yeah, there's trash that can be good. There's trash. What are you, a raccoon? You can, no, can, you can be... differentiate between trash? 
It's trash that can still be recycled. This is not this is not the trash that you just didn't separate and popped into the trash can that could have been recycled. This is trash that was meant to be trash to begin with. Well, then I at least support and understand your decision, Nadine. What is wrong with you? God, <laughs> this movie actually, is a movie. To, okay, it's like I think we watched this movie like halfway through, but like Nadine just kept on shitting on it. So like I had to watch like the rest of it by myself just because like. I kept on, like, smiling, and I looked over, and she's just like, what the fuck, dude? Oh, my God. So, so, so Tori does the same crap. I'll be watching something I really like. She's like, this movie's shit. And I'll, like, look at her and be like, no wonder I don't fucking watch movies with you. So, I don't usually do that, actually. I'm usually pretty silent, but this, I don't know what it is about this movie. I just, I'm watching it, and I'm just like, this is a piece of shit. Even a broken clock is right twice a day. (laughs) That's the thing. Like, there's not many movies that, like, Nadine despises. Well, right. it's okay. <laughs> Even a broken clock is right twice a day. So, Nadine, you had your chances of being right. Now you're wrong. No, bitch. Um, <laughs> so, let's close the podcast out. If you guys have any movie recommendations or want to talk about movies with us, you can find us on Facebook through our private group, Snazzy Podcast. Snazzy is spelled S-N-A-S-Y. Or at Snazzy Podcast on Instagram, or you can just email us at she's not a slut yet at gmail.com. If you guys like what you hear, please rate, review, and subscribe. It actually really helps us get out there and have more people find us. We would love to have more people find us so we could really, you know, talk cult movies with people. Just as a heads up, we will be reviewing John's non list pick, The Iron Giant, which was released in 1999. Oh. So make sure to tune in again. That episode will be released November 25th. I know we. So we're a little bit ahead. We had, we were slacking off recently. We released Army of Darkness a little late this month. We did it. We're supposed to release it on Thursday. We're we released slacking. it on Sunday. You guys decided to go on vacation. Oh, yeah, we went to Tennessee. <laughs> I almost got a puppy and it didn't happen. And I'm really sad. So here's the thing, right, guys? Um, you guys had to suffer with us and listen to us talk about a terrible movie, yet somewhat odd movie from the 1999 now to one of the childhood best movies I've ever watched in my life, The Iron Giant, this 1999. So, I don't know, Dan. If you don't like this movie, I don't think this this relationship's going to work out, dude. Oh. I'm... Oh, go ahead, Dan. I have nothing to say about that. <laughs> He's just like, I, I have gonna, nothing to say I was to trying you. to think of something funny, but I, I couldn't come up with it. <laughs> All right, cool. Failure. I'm actually just really hoping that this is not one of those movies from when I was a child that as an adult I watch again and I'm like, what the fuck was I thinking? Maybe my child brain could could, could hook onto this, but my adult brain is like, fuck this. I've watched this this movie again. I've watched this movie again when I was It doesn't count. It doesn't count. It doesn't count because you fucking do the same shit. I don't think I've actually ever watched this movie in its entirety, so I'm excited to kind of come in clean. I'm just saying right now. Okay, but I also liked my neighbor Totoro, so I eat my ass. Okay, I liked it as a child, but as an adult, I'm like, okay, I can see why child me thought this was fantastic, but adult me is not amused. So I'm hoping it's not the same reaction I had to Totoro, which was, uh, was I should put that in there, a childhood good memory, like a good memory for my childhood. Actually, so. I will actually break up with you, Nadine, if uh, like our friendship is over, if you don't like this movie. I'm just saying. Um, Excuse me, ho. I grew up with that. This- the Lion King for me. What if I'm? What if I'm your neighbor? What are you gonna do then? You're not just gonna come over and, and pet our dog. All right, can we end this podcast? Can we freaking end this? I'm so done. Okay, guys. <laughs> Bye.
Bye. See ya.